This morning we are starting our Advent series and we're going to look at a variety of different attitudes with which we approach Advent or with which we approach Christmas. And this morning we're going to look through the eyes of a skeptic. If you're a skeptical person, if you're a person that maybe kind of says, I'm not quite sure I need to hear a little bit more, uh, or if you're a bit skeptical because there's been some disappointment in your life, or maybe a little bit of hurt in your life, and you're like, "Ah, I'm not quite sure God loves me as much as we just sang because I just got laid off from my job, or our marriage is really struggling, or whatever the circumstances might be that would cause you in a very natural way to go, "I'm, I'm just not sure that I'm buying into this. We want to take a look at that this morning because Scripture welcomes that kind of question. And it welcomes that kind of thinking because there are answers in Scripture for our deepest questions. So how does Scripture speak to uh, perhaps some of us? And it might just be that we're skeptical because we've been already hearing Christmas commercials since the week before Halloween. And it might just be that we're just a little bit tired uh, already as December kicks off. So I thought about some skeptics, and I thought I'd give you some some, uh, pictures of some skeptics, just kind of get us thinking along the right line. So the first group of skeptics, uh, really they're not looking all that skeptical. Uh, And at that particular moment in that particular story, they're not. But if you remember how a Charlie Brown Christmas story begins, Charlie is is leaning on the wall, this little wall where he hangs out, and he's got his chin in his hand, just like he normally does, and he has a very sour look on his face. And his friend Lucy comes up and says, what's wrong? And he just He just isn't getting the meaning of Christmas anymore. Life is just beating Charlie Brown up too many times. Lucy's pulled the football away from him too many times. He just isn't feeling the joy of Christmas. And he feels like he's got to try to get back to it somehow. But at at the start of this particular uh, animation, Charlie Brown actually is pretty depressed uh, and pretty skeptical, skeptical about Christmas. The second image I want to give you is one that you, you'll get it right away. The skepticism and the, and the anger is, is written all over his face. You know who that is, right? That's Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And Ebenezer Scrooge is the epitome of a cranky old man. But people aren't born cranky old men. So you kind of ask yourself, what got him to this point? Well, if you've watched the movies but never read the book, you probably don't pick up on it. But if you've read the book, and I strongly encourage everybody to read the book. It's like 100 pages long. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. If you read the book, you find out some things about Scrooge back from when he was younger. You find out, for example, that when he was six years old, his father, who was completely emotionally detached from him and had nothing to do with him, sent him off to a boarding school where he was about the youngest child at the boarding school, and he had basically no father growing up. That would tend to make a bit of skepticism begin to settle in. Ebenezer Scrooge had one sister, uh, only one sister, no brothers, one sibling who he adored. His nickname for her was Fan, and he loved Fan. She was the light of his life. She died giving birth to his only nephew. So he lost the person whom he loved the most. That would tend to make some skepticism settle in. But Ebenezer Scrooge, when he was a young businessman, fell in love. He fell in love with a young woman who returned his love for a while. But as their relationship grew, she began to get uh, nervous and concerned about his love for money and his keeping everyone at arm's length, and he only wanted to live for himself. And so she broke off the engagement and married another. And that 
kind of sealed the fate of skepticism in Scrooge's life. You see, you don't wake up one morning and go, I'm just going to be skeptical. There are circumstances in your life, there are situations in your life that lead you down that pathway. So this morning, whether you're a lot skeptical or a little skeptical, what are some of the circumstances in your life that may be kind of tugging on those strings? Let me give you one more, maybe the most famous uh, crabby skeptic of them all. This person didn't, or this being, didn't just dislike Christmas, but he wanted to stop Christmas from coming all together. This is Dr. Seuss's Grinch. Now, why the Grinch was so skeptical is a little bit of a mystery. We're not quite sure. We don't get all of the, the information, but let me just read for you a couple of the first few verses of the poem, and it will help us maybe a little bit. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight, or it could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Now, uh, that is Theodore Seuss's Grinch. It's a made-up character. So why did Theodore Grinch uh, come up with this story? Well, he was asked that question after he had written the story, and this was his answer. On December 26th, 1956, I was at my, in my bathroom, and I was getting ready to shave. It was the morning after Christmas, and I was looking at someone in the mirror, and the person that was looking back at me was the Grinch. And I had to discover why I had lost the magic of Christmas, why I had become a skeptic. And so this is actually somewhat biographical. We all wrestle with disappointment. We all wrestle with some form of skepticism, whether it's intellectual or emotional. More, more likely, if truth be told, if we look into our hearts and our minds carefully, it's probably not just one or the other. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Does the Bible have anything to say about this? The great news is that in this Advent season, the Bible speaks directly to this question. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a bit of a journey through Luke's gospel, the very first chapter, and I'm not going to read the chapter because it's like 78 verses long and we'd be here a little bit longer uh, than we should, uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to read bits of it as we go through, and we're going to walk alongside a man named Zechariah who begins his journey as a bit of a skeptic. But before we dive into this, let's spend a moment in two in prayer, or two in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We, we have sung of how you love us. Uh, we have called the faithful to come together and celebrate the Advent season. Father, we do so out of thankfulness in our hearts because of what you have done for us, not because of any goodness that lives within us apart from your grace and your mercy. But Father, we, we do come uh, this weekend we call Thanksgiving, a weekend where we are, uh, we are at least uh, supposed to look at our world through the lens of all with which you have blessed us and give thanks. But Lord, we, we also know we do live in a, a broken world, in a, in a world that can be filled with disappointment and with hurt. And so Father, as we now turn the corner from Thanksgiving and begin to sit or consider Christmas as we begin to live in the season the church calls Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, we pray that you would, uh, in a very practical and a very real and profound way, speak to our hearts and to our minds. 
Lord, this is an emotional time of year, but it can also be a discouraging time of year. It can be filled with anxiety. It can be filled with disappointment. So we thank you that the Bible speaks to these things, that it's not uh, a bunch of stories that kind of end, oh, they all live happily ever after. It's a story that, that does end well, but the journey is a journey that looks like ours, a journey that challenges our faith, uh, a journey where we're tempted to sin and reject you and to turn and go our, a different way. And it's a story of your perfect and complete salvation and grace and mercy through the Lord Jesus. So, Father, teach us, even our skeptical hearts this morning, of your love for us. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so let me give you the sermon a sentence because, as I said, we're not going to read all the scripture together. But here's where we're headed. Jesus coming to earth, the, this first advent of which we're, we're speaking, confronts our skeptical assumptions about God's lack of love or care for us. So if you've ever been in a situation where circumstances haven't gone well and you think to yourself, you know, if God really loved me, this wouldn't happen. Or I, I prayed for this and, and it didn't turn out the way it should have turned out by my definition. So therefore, my conclusion is God doesn't care. Uh, if we're honest, I know we're in church and you want to pretend like you've never had that thought or, or said that, but I'll be the first confessor. I've had both of those thoughts in my life. I've, I've articulated those things. Most often when I'm driving in my car by myself is my why God time. Why God is this going the way it's going? Why God is that going the way it's going? Why didn't you do X, Y, or Z? I, I can't imagine that if you've lived more than at least a couple of years, those thoughts haven't crossed your mind. So we want to see God's response. We want to hear God's response to our skepticism. I have three observations that we're going to look at this morning as we go through Luke's first chapter. The first is this, that disappointment and hurt are very real. They, they, they're things that are just made up. They're very real in this world. If you go the early part of Luke chapter 1, we are introduced to a man named Zechariah. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, he, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So far, so good. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. You say, well, Tom, what, where's the disappointment there? Where's the problem? And that, look at the heading that I've given it, faithful to God. You can read from the Bible from cover to cover, and you should. You should, we should all be reading the Bible on a regular basis. But I will tell you something. You can read the Bible from cover to cover and only find a small, small, small handful of people that fit this description, that they walk before the Lord in faithfulness. This is a rarity in the Bible. Most of the time we're hearing about people's sin. Most of the time we're hearing about people's rebellion against God. But here's Zechariah, and when we meet him here, he's a priest, and he's faithful to God. Well, there's no disappointment in that, right? Well, Let's keep reading. Verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, in, in a room this size, I can't imagine that there aren't some who have that, dis, that specific disappointment in their life, that they wanted to have children, they had none, or maybe they had one and they wanted to have two or three more and they couldn't. I, I would also imagine that if it wasn't that type of disappointment, there are other types of disappointment that are that profound. But this is a profound disappointment. 
this, this is a, a game changer. If you are married and long to have children and you struggle to have children, there are nights where you spend weeping. There are nights when you cry yourself to sleep. There are nights where you say, God, why not? Why is this happening to us? Why are you keeping us from something that is a deep, deep longing in our heart? But this is not a young couple. This is not someone that, that has the opportunity maybe in the near future to have a child. They are advanced in years. They're old folks like me and, and older than that. Now you ask the question, what do year after year after year of disappointment of not being able to have children do to your faith? Well, Zechariah was faithful. He continued on and Elizabeth was faithful. But you know that there had to be questions in their heart. And in fact, Zechariah is going to confess to one of those questions in just a moment. We're going to look at verses 8 through 18. And I'm, in, I'm entitling this section of disappointment as when prayer isn't prayer. Now, I'm not being judgmental of Zechariah. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. But I think the honesty of his struggle comes out in these verses. While he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So he gets to go and kind of in this inner room while everybody else is waiting outside and praying. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now remember this, but this is an important line. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of wisdom to the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. That's an amazing promise. That's astounding. Uh, here's, here's Zechariah, and he's hearing the news he's always wanted to hear, and then some. We'll come back to what all this other stuff means about not just Zechariah and his family, but about all of us and all of our families. But here's a promise that's, that's going to be uh, fulfilled. The thing that he's always wanted and has never been able to have, the thing that, that Elizabeth has always wanted and never been able to have, now it's promised by an angel of God. If an angel showed up to you and said to you, you're going to get the very thing you've always wanted, what would your response be? Here's Zechariah's response. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. The angel said to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. What was his prayer? Could we have a child? Now the prayer is going to be answered. Zechariah says, I don't think this is possible because we're really, really old. I'm not saying that Zechariah didn't mean his prayers, but I can tell you that I've been at times on my knees praying for something as fervently as I can possibly pray, struggling with unbelief. And if you haven't ever been there, I, I hope you never get there. Uh, that'd be great. You, you're much more godly than I am. But I will tell you that there have been moments of great despair, even in the middle of my time with my father who loves me infinitely, 
where I just felt defeated. I just felt like it was never, whatever it was, wasn't ever going to happen. So I, I'm standing next to Zechariah. I'm not, I'm not judging Zechariah this morning, but Zechariah is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Gabriel. I'm just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying. I'm just so discouraged. I don't see how this can possibly be true. When is prayer? Not really prayer. Well, it could be in your marriage. It could be in your job. It could be wanting children. It could be whatever my uh, disappointment may be, but we're not alone. We're, we're standing next to one who struggled to believe the promise of God. Disappointment and hurt are very real. That's the first observation. The second observation is, as we read this text, we're going to see that there's a promise made and that there is a promise kept. First, the promise that's made. Uh, the angel is speaking to Zechariah, and he says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. You're going to conceive. She'll conceive. Bear a son, you'll call him John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth. Zechariah, your prayers have been answered, and, and it's going, it's going to end well. Now, time for second time of confession. I've already given you one chance for confession this morning. Second chance for confession. Be honest, be truthful. How many of you are kind of uh, addicted to Hallmark Christmas Channel this time of year? One, two, three, four, five. Keep them up. Be proud. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. One in the back. Twelve, thirteen over here. I think this is the most honest of all three of the congregations this morning. Nine, nine thirty. There was literally a guy that was like doing this. So, so I love my wife, and 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 I and you ought not tease about addiction because addiction is a real thing. But she's watching two a night, and they're two hours long. And so I watch one every other night with her up to three nights a week. But the thing that, the, there are two things that drive me crazy about the Hallmark movies. The first is that it's not different movies. It's all the same story, just told in a different way, <laughs> right? No, he's not going to take the job in New York. He's going to stay with you in Austin, Texas and raise cattle and children. It's going to be okay, right? No, she's not going to become a ski instructor in Colorado. She's going to stay with you in North Carolina and it's going to be beautiful. It's the same story told over and over again, and nothing ever ultimately goes wrong. I, you know, there's like this buildup where, oh my gosh, they're going to be separated for all the rest of their lives, and they're always going to ask, what if? And then, no, they're all going to be together. It ne it's never going to happen where the Hallmark film turns into a slasher flick. It just isn't <laughs> going to happen. And so I want to say it's not real. It's not realistic. It can't possibly be. Here's a promise that's made, and, I, and I'm guessing that Zachariah's like, really? I don't, my story hasn't gone that way yet. I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm in a Hallmark movie yet. But this is a promise that's made not by Hallmark, but by God. And it's not just any old son, not that any old son is bad, but look at what the angel goes on to say in verses 15 through 17. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink wine. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit, the power of Elijah. Elijah's like in the, in the, in the hall of fame of the Old Testament to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Not only is a, is a son being promised, but God is promising that this is something spectacular, that this is something that hasn't been seen, and, and it is truly remarkable. Well, it's one thing to make a promise. 
Cindy promised me she'd try to wean herself off a Hallmark. That's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to keep a promise. Does God actually keep this promise to Zechariah? Well, let's look at a promise kept. Let's go back to to chapter 1. It says this, after these uh, days, uh, his wife Elizabeth conceived. After he'd been serving in the temple, they go home. His wife conceives. For five months, she kept herself hidden. Think about that for a minute. She wouldn't tell anybody. She wouldn't anybody to know why. Probably because she's afraid that she might lose the child. Maybe because she, she was nervous that, that the, 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 the end heartache would be more than she could bear, more than the heartache she was already experiencing. For, for over half of her pregnancy, she, does, she keeps herself in. She doesn't say anything to anybody. You can just see she's on pins and needles here. But she says, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my repro- reproach among the people. That faith is still there. She's still hanging on. And then several verses later, about 20 verses later, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Promise kept. Promise number one kept. God said, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah said, I'm not quite sure. I see how it's going to work out. And God kept his promise, and God gave them a son. But God has also said that this was going to be a pretty unique son. And for the answer to this question, we've got to spring ahead to chapter 3 of Luke's gospel, and we read the following. In the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor in Judea, and Herod being tetrarch in Galilee, just in case you're wondering what the time frame was. <laughs> During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just as it was written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, capital L, make his path straight. This is the forerunner to the Messiah. The news doesn't get much better than this. The the specialty to which John's called is unique among everybody that's ever been born. So it's not just he's going to be the star on the team. He is the team. He's, he is the guy that's going to introduce the Messiah to the nation of Israel. This promise kept is a very specific child that's going to be used by God in miraculous ways, preparing the way of salvation and peace. So last night we were, we were watching, as comes to shock to you, stay seated, we were watching a Hallmark show. But this, was, this one was different. Anybody watch last night, the one between 9 and 11? The one last night was not just like a couple that lived in Tucson or something like this. This was a royal family. This was a king and a queen and a princess. And, and things were going amiss. And if things kept going amiss, the whole kingdom was going to suffer. But you're not going to believe this. It all worked out. <laughs> and the whole kingdom rejoiced and was saved. We should be standing up and singing these songs this morning, not because it's Christmas time, but because God kept his promise to Zechariah. And in doing so, this spectacular son speaks of one who comes after him who is infinitely more spectacular than him, who is your Savior and my Savior, the Lord Jesus. God keeps his promises. Where does that leave us? Even in a world where disappointment and hurt are real, God makes and keeps promises. Therefore, I believe our third observation we have the opportunity to move from skeptic to believer. Zechariah takes us on that journey as well, and he does so in two ways. The first, I, I call it kind of the big 
picture of faith. Zechariah kind of steps back and, and looks at this from a universal perspective, so to speak, not just about him and Elizabeth. And he says, filled with the Holy Spirit, blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has, he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and that the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy and the promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Isaiah is looking at an infant son and he's saying God has kept his universal promise. If God can bring this child in the world, he can bring salvation. And, and, and he connects the dots in a correct and an appropriate way. He understands that when God does this, he's going to do this. And the two are completely tied together. And the skepticism begins to shrink and begins to vanish and begins to ebb and move away because he sees the hand of God working. But he does one other thing for us. He doesn't just give us the big picture of faith. Because it's easy, I know, for me to believe that, that, that you need to have faith. That's easy for me to believe. And you could tell me about all your circumstances, and I can say, you know, I understand that. And those are tough circumstances, but you ought to have faith. But it's quite another thing when I need to have faith in my own life, when I'm struggling with my own circumstances. And, and Zechariah, in this song that he's giving, this, 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 this poem, this worship song that, that he's singing, brings it, and it makes it pretty personal. And you, child, he's holding his son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And then look at these next couple verses. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Notice where Isaiah, or excuse me, notice where Zechariah places himself. He places himself with every other person who struggles with unbelief in the shadow of death, who sit in darkness. Zechariah isn't saying everybody ought to be like me. Zechariah saying everybody ought to praise God because he keeps his promise of salvation. Where are you and I this morning? I think our skepticism tempts us to say, you know, I just don't know. How can this possibly be? I'm an, I'm an old guy. How can, I, how can I have a child? Whatever our circumstances are, I think we're tempted, very real way with this, you know, how do I know? And it's understandable because difficulties are real. Disappointment is, is, is very much part of this life. Hurt is something with which we can deal with even on a daily basis. And we ought not judge others for their struggles with skepticism, nor should we ignore our own and pretend like they're not there. I believe the journey of faith is, is a journey where skepticism occasionally rears its ugly head and challenges us not to believe, challenges us, tempts us to be untrusting, to allow our disappointment to define us instead of taking our eyes and placing them on the Lord Jesus and saying, look at what God has done for me. Look at what God has done for mine. Look at, look at what God has done for humanity. Our biggest problem is not the disappointment that we're facing with a job or with a family member, with a marriage, as big as those are. And I'm not downplaying those, and I'm not saying they aren't big. But my biggest problem, your biggest problem, is we are separated from God for all of eternity because of our own sin, 
because of our own rebellion against him and everything that the angel has been talking about and everything that Zechariah has been singing about has to do with God bringing restoration and God bringing salvation and God bringing mercy and God bringing forgiveness forever. As I begin to look at what God has done, I, I want to continue to take my place next to Zechariah and say praise be to God because Jesus is the answer to that promise. And there is a hope even for me. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier uh, about one of my favorite books, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I got it off my shelf this morning. I'm going to take it home because I read it every Christmas, and I, and I hope you will uh, take my advice and read it too. I think it will be a blessing to you. But I'm going to read a couple paragraphs out of this. And to set the scene, we're with the ghost of Christmas future, and we're in the cemetery. And the ghost uh, of Christmas future uh, never speaks to Ebenezer Scrooge. He only takes some places and points to things. And now we're in a cemetery, and the ghost of Christmas future is simply pointing at a headstone. And Ebenezer Scrooge is literally on his knees, trembling, clutching to the ghost when we, uh, when we pick up the story. And the, and the ghost is, is just simply pointing. Uh, the spirit was as immovable as ever. Scrooge crept forward, trembling as he went, following the finger, and he read upon the stone of the neglected grave the name Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I the man who lay upon the bed? He had just seen a man in a sickbed. He cried upon his knees. The finger pointed from the grave to him and back again. No, spirit, no, no. The finger was there. Spirit, he cried, tight, clutching at its robe. Hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been, but for this, inter but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? I think that there are probably some people here this morning that say, I'd like to not be a skeptic, but I'm past all hope. Not a chance in the world. The God of the universe who can look at your moment of death and point to that tombstone is not pointing back to you and saying, you need to be a better person. He's saying, look at this cross. Look at my son coming. Look at the promise made to Zechariah. Look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Look at what Jesus has done. He's done all of that for you. Believe that. Lay your skepticism aside. Come to me in faith. Trust in this answer that I have for you. It answers every other question in your life. Not necessarily the way I want it answered, but in God's perfect will. The God who can take care of my biggest problem, which is an eternity separated from him because of everything that I've done that I've deserved. If he can take care of that, he can take care of every other piece of my life. My encouragement for all of us this morning is to deal honestly with our skepticism, but to deal biblically with it, to understand what God has done and to put our trust in him. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning that no one in this room is beyond hope. I thank you that you do not point the finger at us in a way that condemns. But you point to us and you point to the cross and you say, here is the gift of life. Father, we thank you that this is not just about a time of year where we exchange presents, where there are a lot of cool lights on trees and, and beautiful flowers like we have up here this morning, Lord. I, I thank you for all that. It's wonderful. But Father, it's not fundamentally about that. It's about the, the gift 
Lord, our hearts can be so filled with skepticism. We can be hurt. We can be discouraged. We can just be worn down. Renew our hearts this morning, Lord, with the, with the true meaning of this Advent. The promise made, a promise kept. We thank you that Zechariah was honest about how he was feeling. We thank you for the joy he could uh, offer later on as he began to see your handwork. Father, fill our hearts with that joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.